the MVP himself, Deacon Luke Prehoda. How's it going? How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thank you for having us down here. It's a, it's a trek out here, but it's nice. It's a nice little parish. Yeah, it's a beautiful parish that I've been assigned to. Now, you are in your diaconate year. Yes. And it's just a couple of months until your ordination. Are you you kind of getting a little nervous or anxious, or you just want it to be over with and want to start working as a priest? I mean, I look forward to the priesthood, and I look forward to, to what comes. But again, anytime there's something worth it, there's always not necessarily anxiety, but energy. And, and mm-hmm. so it's a nervous energy. It's a good energy. It's because it is something that is worthwhile. Um, and then, but you don't want to miss anything during that last semester or during the last year. And so it's kind of having your heart in two places, but also wanting to, to truly invest with the people there at the seminary, my brothers, uh, especially those who I've been with for many years, uh, the new guys who I've got to know over the last semester, but it's also being here at East Bernard and with the people, it, it, it gives you that recognition that seminary is not forever. You're supposed to be out with the people entering into their lives and hopefully uh, allowing them to encounter the Lord in a, in a deep and meaningful way so that they can continue to, to flourish and, and, and grow uh, as they help me grow in that time too. Speaking of you growing, did you grow up here in East Bernard? I actually grew up in Weimar, Texas. So it's like uh, East Bernard was in our uh, district uh, uh-huh. my freshman and sophomore year. My junior and senior year, they moved to a different district and we moved kind of more west towards like Shiner. But I'm from Weimar, Texas, um, born and raised. I came one of the last ones to say that because after that, they stopped delivering babies. Uh, <laughs> and so I was, uh, I was born there in Weimar um, and my mom and dad. Uh, had moved from Plum, Texas, and they've been there in in Weimar um, for probably almost 45, 50 years. Uh, I have two older brothers, um, and and so just growing up in a house full of brothers and then family members uh, on the outside, um, aunts and uncles on both sides of me as neighbors. And so... All there in in that small town, huh? So not only in that town, they were blessed enough to buy... um, 33 acres and split it 11, 11, 11. And so we had a lot of room to run, oh. we had a lot of room to play sports, uh-huh. football, baseball, basketball, whatever season it was, uh-huh. play a lot of Nintendo and it was rained out. So <laughs> now is that the, is that the diocese with the painted churches? It is with the painted churches. And okay. so my home parish is St. Michael's in Weimar. It's a beautiful neo-Gothic uh, church, very high vaulted ceilings, beautiful stained glass. Uh, but Dubina is our mission, and that is, I pretty much live in between the two, and so I would go to both both parishes. And Dubina is one of the four painted churches that is in that area with High Hill and Ammonsville and Praha being the other three. Now, I said earlier, you're the MVP, and I meant MVP of the Priest Seminary and basketball game. Did you grow up playing sports? I did grow up playing sports. I really enjoyed sports, and I had, again, older brothers, older cousins, and so... I was always the youngest uh, out of the seven on the hill. I was the youngest that always oh. had to uh, play up. And, and I think it very much helped me in my, my uh, sporting ability. Uh, it also made me be a mama's boy because I cried a lot when I got beat <laughs> up by, by people who were 10 years older than me. They and, picked and, on you, huh? Yeah, well, not necessarily <laughs> physically. They just beat me because they were better and they were, oh, okay. they were more mature. And, and a lot of my brothers, uh, both of my brothers played college baseball. Uh, my cousin played college and then professional baseball. And so to see that 
and to witness that and follow in their footsteps to be able to continue to play sports. So you mentioned baseball. So it wasn't basketball that was your main sport growing up. Exactly. Everyone sees me in, especially like you walk through an airport or something. I'm about 6'6". And they're like, so you must be a basketball player. I was like, no, (laughs) I was actually a baseball player. Uh, I was a pitcher. I could throw a baseball relatively hard and and, and locate it very well. And so it was uh, one of the gifts that God had given me, one of the talents uh, to be able to pitch and and, kind of have a, a... an ability to, to just put away the circumstances and think I was better than them, even though I may not have been better than that hitter on the other side. But conviction can get a lot of people out rather than really good stuff, and you have no clue where it's going. So growing up, you wanted to be a ball player? Growing up, my whole goal was focused on on baseball. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a good pitcher. I'm going to play in a professional leagues. So I'm going to be a big leaguer. Uh-huh. That was my that was my vision is, is, is to, to be a professional baseball player, yeah. Now, where did your faith fit in there growing up? My family life was was unbelievably great. I, I was truly blessed um, to to be there in Weimar as a small community. And so you get to know a lot of people. You get to know neighbors. It's a very uh, great feel, very much as, as uh, you know who your people are. And, and, and they know you, and sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad. Uh, <laughs> but it was a recognition that my... My mom and dad were very uh, devout Catholics. Uh, my my dad, um, he would make sure that we were at mass, and so there was it was what I would say obligatory, but it was mostly just an expectation. He expected us to be at mass because he knew that it was good for us, and so he wanted uh-huh. us the, wanted the best for us. Uh, he also sacrificed and, and worked many hours at a at MG feed mill there in Weimar. Um, just long hours in, in the in the feed division, kind of manually kind of operating the computer system to to which grains go to which. And uh-huh. so you got hog feed and so, uh, horses. And and then he, I mean, and he sent us all to Catholic school, first through eighth grade at St. Michael's Catholic School. And so the faith was always prominent. Uh, but again, we, we were very good at sports and, and we would play sports and and the best part about it back then, and I mean, it's, it's it's difficult now because there's so much travel tournaments that have to be on weekends. And so it's kind of the catch-22 mm. of if you want your kid to, to play the sport at a high level, mm-hmm. you kind of are pinholed into a very bad system to always have to be on the weekends where you would normally be spending that with families rather than Little uh-huh. League being at Tuesdays and Fridays. Dad would get off on both of those days. He'd coach me. He'd coach my brother's. Um, and so it was just that recognition that the weekends were for family and for faith, but the weekdays were kind of be, uh, be at school, be at sports, different things. Are both sides of your family historically Catholic? Your mom and your dad's sides? Yes. Yeah. And so both sides. Um, so very deep-seated in Very deep-seated, yeah. They, they came over. My grandpa on my dad's side came over uh, from the old country, from Czechoslovakia, and so I'm 100% bohemian. Everybody, uh, every grandparent has uh, roots back to the home country of the Czech, Czechoslovakia at that point. Uh-huh. And um, they all kind of ended up settling there in the Plum area. And so I've got all four of my grandparents are there. And I think three of my four great-grandparents are b- buried in Plum, which is just north of uh, Weimar. And do any of your relatives speak the language still or... 
Not really, no. Kind no. of got to weed it, it out. It, through. It, it kind of uh, just faded. Yeah, uh, and and the the ones that would have uh, would have had some insight or been able to speak it, even like my dad, he said he would have been able to speak it when he was five or six, and he was very good at it, and he could converse with my aunts and uncles when he grew up, but but then he that, lost that, it. That that faded, and yeah, when probably his grandparents when they passed, he hardly used it anymore. Exactly. I mean, and then uh-huh. you get. In the school system, again, it, it was it was mostly. I mean, the, the the languages they taught were French and German, and and then um, English. Everything was in English, but your extracurricular classes were those two. So, growing up, you it was about sports mainly, huh? Was there ever any thought of the priesthood in your head? You know what? I wouldn't have said yes, um, but as I look back and kind of look at it. Yeah, no, th- there was a recognition that I always enjoyed being an altar server. Okay. Um, but I, when you look up there and you're like, hey, there's a priest. I was like, yeah, that's for somebody else. And so it was never something that stayed with me for a while. I mean, I, I was always like, okay, I'm male. I'm obviously supposed to be married, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's the vocation for all males. Uh, but the recognition is that we had a, I had two priests there that had been there. One was there for like 21 years. He was the one that baptized me. And then about when I was four or five, the next priest came in and he was there until uh, for 28 years. And so for my life, I had two priests and now we've had one there. Since I entered seminary, he entered Weimar and he's been a great mentor to me as well. That's awesome. Now you said that your main focus was sports. Was there a time when, even though you had that, you know, the, the Catholic roots in your family, was there a time that you kind of swayed a little too far and focused a little too much on the sports? I would say yes. I mean, obviously, the recognition of how much I've grown in my faith and to see how integral it is for each and every person to have that relationship with the Lord, the relationship with the sacraments. Um, I can I can say that, yeah, I would have I would have seen it as obligatory. I definitely did go uh, to mass pretty much whenever I had a car and I was able to. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was begrudgingly, but sometimes, I, I mean, I was there. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was that recognition like, okay, if uh, whatever you do on Saturday night, make sure you're in the pew on Sunday morning. And uh-huh. that was kind of your my my mantra. And that was kind of the, you get enough Czechs and Germans around, that's kind of the mantra uh, at <laughs> times, uh, is to, to, to enjoy life, uh, but also to put your faith there. And so, yeah. Now, baseball, you said that you followed your brother's footsteps into pro ball. When did you first recognize that you might have a a shot? Was it in high school or earlier? It would have been um, my senior year in high school. Um, Actually, maybe my junior year, but I started off really bad. And my junior year, I was 0-3, and I was pretty much about to be pulled from the rotation. And if that ever, I mean, if that would have occurred, I would have never pitched in college. I'd have never pitched any further, but I knew that my my cousin was the one that played professional baseball. He was a pitcher. I had a, a brother who played center field for Sam Houston State. Um, and, and, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a big guy. I throw, I was able to touch 90. And so that was kind of the magic number. If you could throw 90 miles an hour, you had, you always, you felt like you had a puncher's chance to, to be drafted or, or play. And then whenever you have a good year, it always makes you feel like you should get an opportunity. Uh-huh. But again, being in 2A, uh, I had really good numbers, but 
I was I wasn't a guy who stayed at ninety or kind of up pitched above it. I was I'd fluctuate up and down, and um, and so when I when I didn't get an uh, offer, I actually only got one offer out of high school, and that was to go to uh, McLennan Junior College or McLennan Community College in Waco, and it was a great great for a, a young uh, kid from. Uh, Weimar, Texas, to kind of slide in uh-huh. into a, a college setting that wasn't overwhelming. I mean, we had mm. probably three thousand people. It was a beautiful campus, and you got you kind of. It was kind of that small town feel for college as well. And you stayed there and pitched throughout your four years. I pitched there for two years. For two and, years, and so after two years, I actually ended up transferring to Sam Houston State, where my brothers and my cousins had played. Okay, uh, or one of my cousins and my brother played, and. And I went there in 2005, uh, and I really enjoyed um, the the kind of town and the atmosphere. My first year, we weren't that good. Uh, I think we we only won about 24 games. Uh, we didn't make the the conference tournament, and um, it was that recognition, like, okay, we need to to maneuver. Um, and and there was a pitching or a, a, a coaching change, and. The, the coach who came in my senior year was uh, Mark Johnson, one of the greatest men I know. He was had coached at A&M for like 25 years. He's a Hall of Fame college coach. He came oh. and coached at Sam Houston for uh-huh. five years, and I got him for one. And he uh, he's still a great friend and mentor. We keep in touch uh, and visit. And it was that year that we kind of flipped the the – flipped the script for Sam Houston baseball and got it back on 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 track of its historic footing of uh, of being a prominent team that you always had to respect and we won our our conference tournament that year um I was the closer uh for the year and I ended up leading the nation in in saves oh so wow I, I had I had 18 saves and and had a about a 1.6 ERA um I ended up getting named the the stopper of the year, and so the best reliever across the, the nation. Wow! Uh, which was just a a great honor when I look back at it. But there, there was so many of my teammates that helped me get to that point because uh-huh. they always put me in a good position. The coaching staff put me in the right position, mm-hmm. and I was able to to get people out when they when they wanted us to walk off the field. And then after that, you you got drafted. I did my senior. So after my senior year, I got drafted. And ended up playing at uh, many different cities. I think it was ten cities in four years. And so wow. I, I was. I, I, I we had uh, kind of the the after draft kind of get together in Tucson, Arizona, and then I was in Missoula, Montana. We had spring training in Tucson. Um, I got released and went and played down in Edinburgh, Texas, and in, in independent league. Uh, after that season, my third year, I started in Grand Prairie. Got picked up by the New York Yankees. Was in Charleston, wow. South Carolina. Ended up in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania for the last week of the season in AAA. And then uh, the next year, from from Tampa, out of the spring training, I got released and was back at Grand Prairie and finished up in Shreveport. And so it was a. I always tell people I got to tour the United States on a coach <laughs> bus, and most of the time it was at night. So. I saw the entrance to the Grand Teton Mountains at 2 a.m., but I didn't see the Grand Teton Mountains. <laughs> so you were on a bus going all around the country. Yeah, so so pretty much up until probably AA when you have an extended uh, distance, uh-huh. or AAA is when you would start flying. So most okay. of the time, I mean, I was traveling from Montana down to Idaho uh, 
and then down to Salt Lake City and playing in some of those those suburbs of Salt Lake. And so it was 10, 12, 15 hour road trips at times, but it was uh, it was a life I was blessed to have. I can see so many, uh, so much of God's hand in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it was uh, that recognition that that is, was my passion. And that's what I thought, oh, well, this is where I'm being called. Um, it, when we were in hometown, I'd be able to make mass. When we weren't, they had baseball chapel uh, for the most part, and so it'd maybe be 10, 15 minutes of just devotional sharing, but um, definitely wasn't uh, the priority. Uh, so it wasn't like you could go out of your way to find a church to go to or a mass or yeah. anything like that because it was too difficult yeah. with the schedule? Is that what yeah. it was? Once, I mean, because you play, I mean, once you got to professional baseball, you play every day. I mean, and uh, so, yeah. so you're playing on Sundays, and, and you can... Again, when I had a vehicle, I'd drive there. And and then I, when I ended up, I uh, was coaching later on in my career. And uh, my my uh, team chaplain uh, from A&M Kingsville told me, he goes, well, you, they got taxis. And so then after that, I was like, well, I got no excuse. So I'd, I'd get a taxi <laughs> or Uber and yeah. go to mass. I mean, or, or walk if, if you'd see one when you drive in. And so it was a recognition that, what is your priority? And uh-huh. when, when my priority became to, to, to stay close to the sacraments and, and, and God, um, through them, uh, to be nourished in, in uh, the Eucharist, it was much easier to, to, to wake up at 7 a.m. because we didn't have a game until the afternoon or evening. And so mm-hmm. you really didn't have to be at the field until 10. It's just, okay, it's going to cut into my sleep. I need to, uh-huh. I'm going to have to um, make this a priority. But um, I... And then having that witness, some of the players would come along with me, and you're like, oh. <laughs> so because you take that step, then others who are Catholic yeah. also come to Mass with you because they had an, an opportunity. Yes. Or they saw that there was an you opportunity. You could split the cab fare, too. Exactly. Or something like that. Now, you said that you played for five years. Did you get injured, or you just decided you didn't want to do it anymore? Well, I played... Four in high or four in college, and then four in the professionals. Okay, and it was more or less once I wasn't an affiliated baseball again, and once I got released that spring from the Yankees organization, it became okay. This is there. It, it's much less of a chance to get an, another opportunity because I was getting older at that point. A lot of times, you just kind of weed out because there's a draft every year, and so uh-huh. if you're if you're not at progressing in the levels of the minor leagues you also recognize, okay, well, you see the writing on the wall. It's like, well, if I couldn't break it with this crop of kids, uh-huh. what happens when they draft another 50 of them <laughs> and, they, and they have these top prospects that are coming? And they're and younger, to, yeah. How, and, and you're 26, 27, and you're not on the cusp of the big leagues. It, it became obvious that, well, maybe this is where my, my jersey's not going to... And I could have continued playing independent baseball, but I told my teammates after we won the championship... I was like, well, if I find a job, I'm going to go. And it, was a, it wasn't the best job market. It was 2010, and it was oh, right after the, the, the recession. That, the recession. And, yeah. and I found a job at Invesco and, and, and kind of moved in and, and utilized my uh, business degree that I had earned from Sam. Now, at that point, you were thinking marriage. Exactly. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to earn money. I'm uh-huh. going to find uh, a, a wife and have a nice family and, and um, again, chase them around playing sports as they would have, <laughs> as, as my, as, as I was kind of raised and to have that, because there are so many virtues that are also learned in sports. There's so much good that can be learned in sports, having 
the the blessings of of teammates, getting to know how to work with people, getting to know to utilize your talents to overcome obstacles or difficulties. Um, but yeah, I I that was my plan, and I. To be honest, I didn't necessarily go to like the supermarket like they always say. I went to like Catholic Bible studies hoping for the best. <laughs> and, I, and I was able to date some girls, uh, good Catholic girls, but it just, um, the recognition is that I wasn't really good at communicating. I was very shy. So I like to text because it seemed easier and that's not a way to get to know somebody. Yeah. And, 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 and when they, when, when, and when I recognize, I look back like, yeah, obviously that was idiotic move. Right? <laughs> was it that way in high school and college and while you were playing ball too that you were a little too shy? Yeah, um, I would say in in college it was a recognition that I wanted to be I was fully invested and I could be in front of 3000 fans and and have no qualms about anything, but asking a girl out was was very difficult. Um and some advice that my brother gave me. He goes, if you want to continue playing baseball, it's very hard because there are other distractions, other commitments that you mm-hmm. you then have weighing in your thought processes. And so I just kind of put it off until I, I finished playing baseball. So like girls on the side don't even think about yeah, yeah. girls playing baseball all the way. Yeah. The number one focus at that point. Exactly. Now, you said you went into the professional world. How long were you, you know, working in the private sector before you decided to enter into the seminary? I worked at uh, Invesco for about uh, four years. So it was December to August of, December of 10 to August of 14. And I started out as their client services rep. Uh, I love the company. I love the people. Um, I was on the phone the whole time. And so I was able to actually help different customers or reps with different things. And so it actually was played to my strengths. Um, but there was an opportunity for advancement. And so I ended up um, applying for an internal sales job. And so I got a j- job uh, in my territory was Minnesota. So I had to call people and tell them to buy me or try and pro- give them information to buy mutual funds. And I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that when I was there. Um, but it was a, a recognition that while I love the company, I really didn't like being on the phone the whole time. Okay. Uh, I didn't like the job. Okay. Uh, my coworkers were great, um, and and we would have we would go play slow pitch softball. We'd play men's league baseball. We'd have bowling leagues. And we'd have uh, volleyball leagues with the company, and so it was a great company. Taught me a lot about finances, uh-huh. uh, which everyone was like, "Oh, that's going to be great as a priest." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't really like them, but <laughs> I, I know about them. That's not something I want to really delve into uh, and, and crunch numbers and, and get caught on that business side of things. It's important to the administration, but I want to be out there with people and kind of engaged with them. Uh, and so, yeah, after four years uh, of that, it was one. I guess it was. May of 2000 and, uh, 2014, and I was sitting at Rice uh, University watching, uh, They, I think it was Texas and Rice was playing in a regional there, um, and I was sitting at the back of my buddy's vehicle, and he had a TV hooked up, and I was watching Sam Houston State play against TCU, and they ended up losing a 22-inning game. Wow. Um, and 
at that point, then the coaching staff ended up leaving to go to Tulane. And I thought, okay, well, this may be an exit point to get into coaching. And so see if they, if they would need a coach to go there or a coach that opened up at Sam, uh-huh. even though I hadn't been in baseball for four years, uh, uh-huh. but I, that was, that piqued my interest. Yeah. And so again, when, when they lost the, that regional, they ended up, the coaching staff took a position there at Tulane. And so it, it kind of started shuffling some coaching positions. And there's really like about a month long hiring period in college baseball. And I was right in that window. Uh-huh. Uh, I had just, uh, one of my relationships uh, with one of my fr- uh, girlfriends ended uh, in early May. And so it was like, okay, this may be my exit point to get out of a job that I don't really like, mm-hmm. but, even though I like the people, but to go out and, and try and utilize my passion and, uh, and I was just coming off of a, a labrum surgery. And so I was, I was back into where I could be able to throw batting practice and help out. And so I thought, this is where I need to to kind of find out. And so I called a, a coach uh, who's the head coach at McNeese State, Justin Hill. He was my pitching coach at Sam Houston. And he said, what you have to do is get your name out there and get into working camps. And you got to talk to everybody that you know that's a coach at this point. And so... Then I reached out to Coach Johnson, and he said, "Yeah, just let me know, and I'll 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 see what we I'll see if I can get you in touch with people." Mm-hmm. Um, well, Sam Houston State didn't work out. Tulane didn't work out. They had they took the whole staff, and so that wasn't a, something that was an opportunity. Um, but I got a call from the Rice uh, volunteer assistant who I had met at Sam Houston State uh, the years after during my playing time. He would catch my bullpens, and 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 he. Uh, he said, I don't, I don't know if you've, you're still looking, but there is a position that's at Texas A&M Kingsville. It's for a pitching coach and they, it'll be graduate assistant. Uh, and so you'll go back to school, but it is a great opportunity. And they had just come off of a regional final bid in their own respect of, uh, before they, before going to like the, the college world series for the division two. And so I went down, I kind of called around, um, and, and they said, well, come on down for an interview. And so, I uh, called in sick and drove down to... Uh, so you said graduate assistant, so you'd be a graduate student? I'd be a graduate assistant and the assistant pitching coach, yeah, okay. because they didn't have, like a lot of D1s, they're going to have their own, kind. I mean, they have enough salary to kind of go around. So we had a, a head coach, a recruiting coordinator, and then the pitching coach position uh-huh. was a graduate assistant position. Okay. And so for me, it ended up being like, okay, well, this is my in, um, mm-hmm. and the blessing of being at Invesco, I had enough money saved to be able to make that leap of faith when, uh-huh. when I when I would get the job offer. And so I've interviewed with Coach Gonzalez uh, down at AM Kingsville, and he's still there. And, and he's a great witness and mentor in many different ways. But he was um, he invited me down, uh, and so I broke my lease uh, in Houston and and drove down in August. And I was like, okay, this is a much slower pace than the middle of Houston where I was at. And so to get down uh, to Kingsville to have a, a group of 35, 40 young men uh, that were under my control, and I hadn't one pitched in four years, mm-hmm. I hadn't coached ever. <laughs> and so yeah. there was this recognition like, well, how do I get them to succeed when uh-huh. I have... I I wasn't a real mechanical guru. I wasn't some of these guys that had spin rate or all this other stuff. Uh-huh. But I got lucky enough that they, that, I mean, it being a graduate assistant position, it kind of takes a lot of people out of 
out of the play because they've already got their graduate uh, degree uh-huh. yeah. and they're on to a different uh, coaching spot. And that's why that spot opened up is because the graduate assistant graduated, graduated and moved on to, to St. Edward's uh, in Austin. And so I went down there and it was just, um, it was a culture shock, but it was a great uh, community. Um, we had a, a team chaplain, Father John Cheveria, who was at Texas A&M Kingsville and then had uh, moved to Corpus Christi, but he would come down and, and, and kind of just be in the dugout. He'd be, be there wearing his collar. He'd be wearing his cap. Coach Gonzalez was a daily master. And so mm. um, at that point, I was not a daily mass goer, but uh, there was something that you could recognize in in the in, in his way about himself, way he carried himself. Uh huh. Um, and it was that uh, year or that November that I ended up going on an axe retreat. I mean, the the parish said, "Hey, we've got an axe retreat." They did a pulpit talk. I ended up giving blood. Uh, that was the blood drive was right outside, and so I went in there. And one of the axe members was in there, and I go, "Yeah, I'm thinking I want to go on this retreat, but." I don't know if I'll be able to get off because I'm supposed to be scouting that uh-huh. weekend. And he goes, I think Coach Gonzalez can get that, get you out of that. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what happened. So the the recruiting coordinator took the the coach, the, the recruiting option, and I went and, uh, and, and, and kind of sat with the Lord and, and with a bunch of guys on an axe retreat. And it was... Uh, you could see the spirit moving. I mean, I had a lot of insights, and but I also knew who I was. I knew that there were ups and downs of what I what I go through. Uh-huh. Um, and I ended up deciding, like I was there, I was like, this is awesome. And so one of the guys comes up to me and he goes, man, I've heard you all week, and I really think that you're going to be in seminary next year. Really? And my thought process was, that is an odd compliment. Because <laughs> you see something in me that I, I don't really recognize in myself. Uh-huh. But I haven't even coached a baseball game yet, and I just left the job that was paying me very well to go back to school <laughs> when I said I'd never go back to school. And, and I was enjoying coaching. And so I was like, yep, that's, that's just the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> and... So then we, we we ended up starting a Bible study that uh, that spring with the guys, and so we'd have anywhere from eight to fourteen of the players uh, come and, and and sit in on Bible study. And Coach Gonzalez and his wife Miss Courtney, she'd cook a big meal. We'd have a great fa- family style meal. Uh-huh. They invite us into their house. Uh, we we discuss uh, the faith, and then when they'd leave, Coach Gonzalez and I would discuss how we're going to get people out the next weekend. It's like, what's our rotation going to look like? <laughs> Who's going to be our bullpen? This guy's injured, this guy. And so it just became a war room and we put coffee on for two hours. Uh-huh. Um, we ended up going out and, and, and winning conference that year. We didn't do well on the weekday games. And so we didn't make a regional, but we won our conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was just a great opportunity. And after that, I was able to go to Green Bay for a, a coaching in a summer. And so in the Northwoods League, you, they got 14 teams, and you play, I think it's 74 games in 76 days. So we had like wow. three off days. It was uh-huh. crazy. But it was beautiful because the weather was great. I mean, it's not, it was yeah. not 100 degrees in South Texas <laughs> there in Kingsville. It was it was 68 degrees at game time, and you're nice. like, this is awesome, or 80 degrees, and you're taking BP. You're like, oh, this is a, this is a, this is cool stuff. Um and and I and I you know, was coaching there for the pitching coach that I had pitched for um, during my college years in the summer leagues, and so it was a, I already had a relationship with okay. him and a friendship, and 
And so to be on that side and, and try and help those guys was good. Now, from there, that that thought, it didn't cultivate yet, huh? That guy who said that you were going to enter seminary. No, it definitely didn't enter seminary. And at that point, you get to Green Bay and there's a couple things that happen as they've got really good beer. Uh, they've got some new Glarus uh, is, is a very delicious uh, beer. They're spotted cow. And they had a casino. Uh, mm. And so it was one of those things that, okay, well, I... I this is something that I had always done, uh, be it online uh, gambling or when you could do poker online. Uh-huh. And I was able to actually get LASIK eye surgery because I won a big tournament. And so you do ups and downs. You win some, you lose some. Uh-huh. I probably have a few chandeliers at places, but uh, <laughs> at some of those casinos. But it was a recognition that okay. These are things that again try and draw me away from from that from the Lord, and that's when my pitching coach told me. He goes, "Well, you know, they have taxis, or, or my uh, team chaplain uh-huh. texted. He they have taxis, and so it was during that summer that I ended up uh, kind of drawing back, knowing that I needed to get back and grounded in the in the, in in my relationship with the Lord. And so when I got back to Kingsville, I knew where my relationship was, mm-hmm. and that was. Uh, that was with those group of men uh, in Acts. And so they asked me to be on a, a team member uh-huh. uh, and kind of help put on the next uh, retreat, which was that November. And, and so, that was your first teaming experience. That was my first team uh, of Acts. Uh, and so I did did all 14 meetings. Uh, it was good to be around the guys, great food. We had some really good cooks, uh, barbecuers, and just ribs. It's just delicious. <laughs> That's how they kind of suck you in. Yeah, and, and then yep, the Lord, it's like, meetings, it's like yep. sometimes the Lord will utilize uh, uh, some some incorrect intentions and draw you deeper in. And so sometimes <laughs> it was the food, and then you got to, oh, hey, that was a good insight. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it was that next retreat that took place in November. So we finished our fall season. We're getting ready for the, or the kind of the inner squads, getting ready for the spring uh and we went on retreat, and I went and found the guy who told me I'd be in seminary. And oh. I was being very sarcastic. I was like, you know what? Not in a seminary. <laughs> and, uh, and so the next three days, the Lord showed me uh, his love, his mercy, and his providence, and that, okay, you're not in the seminary now, but you may be, and this is where I'm calling you. And so to see the love of of Family members, uh, when they when they were able to see each other again, yes, and and that that kind of beauty uh, and the tears and the emotion yes. and recognizing that's something that I may not ever have in, on a biological level, uh-huh. but it was a recognition that that's beautiful. But I am going to be called to something just as beautiful, and and it is to serve Him in a way. And so it was over those three days, it became clear, maybe he's calling me to serve more than 35 kids at a time on a baseball team. Wow. And so uh, a couple weeks, I guess a couple weeks later, I went and sat with Father John Cheveria and kind of told him everything. I was like, this is what I'm experiencing, kind of mm-hmm. got some insights into the uh, the way it goes uh, and kind of what I'm supposed to, to do. Or And he he gave me the book to save a thousand souls. He told me to pray, and so being more adoration and oriented. And I had started picking up daily mass and going and sitting in prayer uh, as well. And it became obvious. So I wanted to call somebody that I knew who was in seminary, and I only knew one guy in seminary, and his name was uh, now Father Preston Cantella. Oh, okay. He uh, he was 
he was on a retreat when I was in Houston uh, at the Passionist Retreat Center. And so I, I've recognized some about him, and he was a seminarian at that point. It was probably four years before. Mm-hmm. But it was a recognition, so I, I had his information through LinkedIn. I, I reached out to him, and he said, yeah, well, I can find some time on Friday. And I'm like, it's like Tuesday. What takes you so long? You got, <laughs> and then I realized I'm in seminary. You got no time until Friday. But, uh, now, did you... Connect with him because you were both athletes? Is that how? No, no, it was just because he was the seminarian I knew, and I wanted some insight. And okay. So he goes, well, we have a we have a, a discernment retreat at St. Mary's in Houston uh-huh. uh, coming up in December. And I was like, well, sweet, I'm out of school at that point. So uh-huh. I ended up, went uh, went to the retreat, um, and it was it was much more silent, much more meditative, and to sleep in the in the dorms in those nice small uh, rooms. Mm-hmm. But to look out and see the chapel to my right, uh, just kind of enter into the prayer. And we didn't play basketball until like the third night. So I was like, oh. So I wasn't just to it for, for basketball. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I talked with Father TJ, and, and again, someone pops up on the scene out of nowhere to discern for... Because uh-huh. I had I had worked in Houston, and I and I always thought that I'd be in Houston, um, and so I ended up okay. Well, I'm going to take 40 days because I mean, that's one of those biblical numbers. You take 40 days uh-huh. to kind of pray through it, so you don't make a decision off of two really beautiful retreat kind of experiences. Yeah, and and so it was Super Bowl Sunday uh, when. Peyton Manning wins the Super Bowl. Okay, uh, and I I had dro- drove. We played Friday and Saturday, and then on Sunday we had a day. We played doubleheader on Saturday, so Sunday we were off for a Super Bowl. So I drove in, met with Father TJ, and started the application process. And um, and so the, it took me all season. I coached the whole time, uh, went through the process, did all the evaluations, and uh, it became uh, kind of obvious that I was a better coach when I was discerning what the Lord wanted. Because I was at peace, my players will probably tell you I was much, much. <laughs> you didn't shout so much. I did. Yes, yeah, so I wasn't nearly as loud. <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, and so it was that recognition that just truly recognizing that you're you're trying to figure out what the Lord wants for you. And uh-huh. so I ended up going, um, and we finished the regional tournament. We got knocked out in I think third place. And I had a meeting with Father TJ and the evaluation crew, which Father Dat was on, uh-huh. uh, and because he was he had been a previous vocation director, and yes. so I was there. And I sat in there and I poured out my life story. I was like, "This is the Holy Spirit." I mean, if if it's not supposed to be, y'all get to make that decision. I'm not hiding anything. There's nothing going to be that comes up later on. So uh-huh. I, I laid it all out there: uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the indifferent. And, and it was a recognition that uh, Father TJ comes out about ten minutes later, and you're expecting, okay, I'm going to be a seminarian. And he goes, well, we got to we got to pray on it. And I was like, okay, oh. so there's a recognition that there are uh, tendencies, be it vices or, or things of that nature, that you have to to kind of understand what you're getting into. Uh, and and before I entered on that retreat, one of the one of the uh, seminarians told me. He goes. The devil doesn't stop at the gates. Because uh-huh. he, 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 if you're yeah. running from something on the outside, the uh-huh. vices or struggles, he, it's it's only going to be amplified in the seminary. And so, that was a great wake up call uh, where I I thought 
I acknowledged them and I became much more self-aware. A mm-hmm. week later, he calls me up and says, yeah, you've been accepted as a seminarian for the Archdiocese. And so I actually started with the Archdiocese of Gauss in Houston. That first winter, uh, I was kind of praying through it and with my spiritual director. And I was like, man, again, the Lord uses my intentions that were, may not have been as pure. Uh-huh. I wanted, if I was going to do this, I was doing it on my terms. I wanted to be in Houston. I was going to watch a bunch of Astros games. I was going <laughs> to, I was going to, uh, I was going to have these, these parishes and it was all going to, and the Lord's like, okay, now that you slowed down and you're sitting with me and in a lot of adoration and prayer, I want you to be in the, uh, the di- uh, the di- your home diocese. I want you to be with your people, with your kind of rural diocese, the people that you've grown up and known. You know their experiences. You know what they go through, praying for rain after every mass. Uh, <laughs> and then when a hurricane hits, praying for it to stop and then come back uh, and later on. Diocese of Victoria. Diocese right? of Victoria. Oh. And so, Father, it was that Easter uh, or that Lent, I, when I let Father TJ know, I was like, this is something that's been on my heart. And he goes, okay, well, you're going to be with us throughout the year. But for Easter, go to your home parish, serve there, and see how it feels. Because uh-huh. I had served at St. Michael's off of Sage for Christmas. And when I went home at Easter, it just it was home. And, oh. I, and I recognized it. And I was like, okay. And so I, I, I let him know. And that June, I transferred to the diocese. And I've been a, a seminarian for the Diocese of Victoria uh, since the June of, of 2017, and, and I got to, they did what they call the Troubadour Tour, and so we got we were helping with kids camps at seven different parishes. So I got okay. to see multiple different parishes of our diocese, because I grew up in a very beautiful part of the, the diocese. Uh-huh. Um, and to, to then go and see the life and the vibrancy across the diocese, a different, different kind of ways it's lived out or expressions of it, but to see that was just a gift. And uh, and so then yeah I entered uh, for them and but they told me I was going to stay at St Mary's and I was like that's exactly where I want to be because it's it's nice to be able to drive an hour and fifteen minutes home and visit mom and dad uh-huh. and help them out um, and, and then it, do most of the seminarians there in Victoria end up going to St Mary's as of now every seminarian uh, will go either to HTS and we've got four of them up there at Holy Trinity because okay. they're undergrad that's in Dallas in Dallas. And we have everyone else is at St. Mary's. And, and with Bishop Cahill being our bishop, he had been rector uh, of St. Mary's Seminary for 10 years. And so he had a very good relationship. He also likes that we can come back for diocesan events, Chrism Mass and everything. Mm, yes. Um, and th- some of the guys prior to, w- there would be a couple of them go up to the Josephinum in Ohio because that's where Bishop Fellhauer had, uh, had been uh, formed. And so keeping that relationship along. But Bishop Cahill... Uh, he 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 very much enjoys having us there at St. Mary's, and I love the place. Are there a lot of guys with you from um, your diocese, from Victoria? We have six at St. Mary's. Uh, two of them are on pastoral year, so we have four on campus, and two uh-huh. of them are back in the parishes, one in Port Lavaca and one in Victoria. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we were able to get together and, and have some, a group. My, my first year as a seminarian with Diocese of Victoria, we only had two guys. And so mm. it fluctuates, but we've had a, a good crew of guys. And then, again, But you were never alone. No, never yeah. alone. And a lot of times, I mean, I made really good friends my first year. And so you got upperclassmen that I'll still go visit uh, uh-huh. during, during my breaks uh, from other dioceses because 
they were the ones that you were playing basketball with, the ones you were praying with, the ones that you had a, an Exodus 90 to kind of get you better uh-huh. uh, and to, to kind of enter in and, and kind of avoid some of those um, those struggles. Now, when you were in seminary, you said that, you know, the devil doesn't stop at the gates. Did you have any thoughts of, oh, I'm giving up being married, having a family? Did you struggle with that? Some of our past guests said that they have. So the celibacy thing was always, uh, I see it as a gift now. At, at one point it was very much, okay, this is going to be white knuckle. It's going to be something that I just have to do. It's part of the deal. Uh-huh. Um, and and yeah, you, you always feel like, man, I wish I'd love to have kids. And then you also see that that vocation is not easy either to have kids <laughs> in this world uh, and oh, everything yes. and, and the, the noise that the world will throw at them. Oh, yes. I can only imagine the the worry that goes through a parent's heart. I can imagine what went through my, my mom and dad's heart, especially my mom uh, when I was in high school or, or in college. Uh-huh. And it's a recognition that there's so much more that is... Uh, attack hasn't a chance to attack them that we we don't even recognize i mean the, the phone has transformed generations yes the, uh, the uh, again the the travel sports uh and just the usurping of weekends uh that were for family and faith yeah usurping of wednesdays uh, where you have faith formation it's just everything there's the, the devil's trying to attack by just overloading people. Yes. And so it's a recognition that sometimes you're like, man, celibacy, what a gift. <laughs> uh, but mostly because of the ability to give of yourself uh, to the church and, and the, to recognize that the beauty of, of loving the parishioners that you're with, mm-hmm. to entering into to the, the, their lives uh, in a very meaningful way to where you're not kind of torn by, by both. Uh, How long did you grapple with it? Was it pretty quick that uh, you were able to come to terms? Yeah, I came to terms relatively quick. We had uh, we had a, a, a Father Sean Kilcally kind of does a, a presentation on celibacy. He was mm-hmm. a celibacy workshop, and we get those every semester at the seminary, so it was a weekend. Um, but he just explained it so beautifully, uh, what celibacy is, the attacks on celibacy, the attacks on purity uh, mm-hmm. as a whole. And so to be able to overcome uh, any of those those struggles, it's going to take self-reflection, awareness, and God's grace. And it's again, the, the grace comes through the sacraments. And so to truly recognize the healing power of reconciliation, to enter into it and draw so much awareness about myself and how I'm called to be uh, a child of God that that that, that witnesses to that, mm-hmm. not somebody who just goes with what the world is is telling yeah. you is okay, yeah. and then to nourish yourself on the Eucharist and to be able to receive the Eucharist daily, um, and, and just to have that great grace that is able to flow. And I think during this past retreat, it, it was very uh, this that I just got off of um my silent retreat my canonical retreat for ordination uh-huh. it was very recogn- kind of i came to the recognition is that we have to be healed before the nourishment truly a lot flourishes and is fruitful and so the eucharist is always going to be jesus sometimes we're receiving him disposed properly to those graces and sometimes we're not mm-hmm. and so to be able to to recognize the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation which gets us in right order which allows us to grow in virtue because we're inviting the grace in 
we're, we're learning the tendencies that, that would make us fall or make us choose to do the stupid action, the mm-hmm. perceived good. And then to just be nourished by our Lord and allow his, his, his heart that burns for you in the Eucharist to be united to yourself and, and to just continually invite him in. Um, and I always say, we, we have the bread of life and half the time we always look for breadcrumbs. <laughs> We're just <laughs> grasping at things that the yeah. world offers when we have the bread of life who wants to, to be in a deep, meaningful relationship with us. Now, in seminary, did you have a lot of friends or classmates that um, discerned out, that, that left, that decided that it wasn't for them? I did. And, and, and that was the, f- the first time I, I got an email. I was like, wait, what, people leave this thing? And they told <laughs> me when I interviewed, it's, it's usually about 50% will, will discern uh, good, uh, most of the time good discernments mm-hmm. uh, and just praying through it. And okay, their call is to a different vocation. Uh-huh. But they, they gave it a try. They listened and they, they sought what the Lord was asking. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it was a, a recognition that baseball trained me very well for that because there were a lot of my teammates that I love that got released as well. Oh, and, and that was a, that was a or they retire and you and you always have a new crop coming in each year with yeah. a different team and so a different. Okay, these guys got ordained. These guys discerned out. We got these new guys that got to integrate into our brotherhood. Uh huh. And so there were so many parallels between baseball and and and, and seminary living, uh, especially the one being a recognition that uh, being a coach prior to has allowed me to respect the decisions of formators a whole lot more than uh, at times others because I recognize that they are calling us to grow in a way Uh that we don't even see, and it is painful at times. Uh But as a coach, you're trying to bring the best out of your players. So you're you're having them do things that they may think is just not, how is this going to help me? Mm-hmm. And then they see the growth and the and the and the kind of final product, and you're like, oh, see, it does work. I was hoping it worked, but it does work. <laughs> but that's exactly what formation is able to do. They're calling us to a greater good, and they're yes. they're calling us to stretch and and to be receptive to God's grace and 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 transforming us after, uh, and conforming our hearts to to Christ. And so, um, that's been a great grace uh, to have great formation, great formators, uh, and just have a beautiful. Uh, campus. How old were you when you entered seminary? I was 32. Okay. And so, so that's on the later end, huh? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I walked through the gates three days after my 32nd birthday. Um, and I guess for my 32nd birthday, I was in Lake Charles getting one, getting, getting some last gambling done. And, and since I've gone through those gates, I have had many temptations to go back gambling and it is because of the grace of God that I've been able to overcome that. And it has been a great, gift for me uh-huh. uh, personally because I've had people tell me tigers can't change their stripes. And I used to believe that. I was mm. like, oh, you, these are things that I'll just have to live with. And now I've, you live with them, you deal with them. It's like the thorn in uh, Paul's side. Uh-huh. You still deal with, with all of the, what, what you did in the past, but a tiger can't change his stripes, but God's grace can. And so it's that recognition that God's grace is continuing to form me into a man after his heart and into a man that wants to serve his people. And so that's been a great gift. Uh, and I think it's, it's also evident when I'm able to give my testimony is that I, that I haven't, it hasn't always come easy. There's been ups and downs, uh-huh. uh, but it, there is a transformative power when you enter into God's love and, and, and truly give of yourself. 
What's the limit in terms of age for entering the seminaries? Is there a limit? Uh, not, not, not for me. So, um, I think some some dioceses will accept people in their sixties or later mm. vocations. I mean, and and hope to 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 have ten to fifteen years of 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 a, of a vocation. Uh huh. Um, to be able to serve the people and and. It's a recognition that they've lived a life in a in a in a beautiful way. Uh-huh. They've experienced a lot, and they bring a lot to the table outside of that that uh, experience. But it's a recognition uh, that God is continuing to call people. He's calling them young. He's calling them at an older age. Uh-huh. Um, and it unfortunately, if we had more vocations, the sixty year olds probably wouldn't get an application. Mm, yeah, but it's a recognition that there is a need to serve God's people. And so they are, and, and they do have that life experience that they are able to give yes. in addition to the, uh, the witness of being able to learn. Now for mm-hmm. some of the older people, it's, it's harder to go back into school. Mm. Being out of school for a long time, yeah. it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it was a great understanding that I'm a late vocation for a lot of people. I'll be 38 when I get ordained. Um, but that also means that there's a great gift and a, uh, there is a lot of fruit that can be born during my priesthood. Yes. Now, you entered seminary and you're a little bit older because, you know, you went to graduate school. You worked for a few years in the private sector. Was there a big difference in terms of maturity when you entered? Because I know there are some hijinks that happen in the seminary. Yeah, there are some, uh, some, some things that go on. And so what... Being sent to St. Mary's, there was a much older kind of a more mature type of a crew because it was a graduate level seminary uh, that yes. takes that that goes to St. Thomas um, for their philosophy classes. And so while I was pretty much middle of the pack in the seminary house, I mean there were some guys that were twenty two that had gone through college and and were there. Uh-huh. But the guys in pre theology with me, they were all. 32, Father Chris was, I think, 27, 28 when he was in, he entered the same year as I did in mm-hmm. the pre-theology. And so I didn't necessarily have just leaving 22-year-old baseball players and going with 22-year-old <laughs> uh, seminarians uh-huh. uh, as somebody like, oh man, there's a big disparity because yeah. that's a 10-year gap. And um, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a group of guys, and, and we, there are some hijinks, and there's a, a good amount of fraternity and a good amount of uh, joy that's expressed through some of those things. Were you a victim of pranks, or were you a pranker yourself? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get. I'm sure there's pranks that somebody's going to tell me after I get off of this interview. <laughs> but I was somebody who who kind of they didn't necessarily pick on me. I don't know why. Was I it do, because you were older, maybe? It might have been because older. It might have been because I, at times, could be angry. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I... The coach comes out of yeah, you and you start screaming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was... There are times that I've I've made just... And Father Christopher pointed out that I would put the up button uh, on the second floor of a... Of a uh, in a... At our dorm, that we just got a new dorm. And oh, so that was you. Time, that was me. He told that story about somebody. He told, yes. 
And that the was people me. getting off on the wrong floor. Exactly. So there's a, uh, we got, <laughs> first time we got to use an elevator in six years. And so they would get on and they're going to the third floor. And well, I realized that our elevator was slow. So I could get up to the second floor when they hit the button uh-huh. and I would just hit up and they'd be on their phone and they'd walk off and uh, on the wrong floor. On the wrong floor. They're, and I'm like, what are you doing on my floor? And they're like, oh, you got me again. It hasn't worked nearly as well this year. It's been, uh, they have kind of, let people know that that, that happens. They've and gotten so now, wise to it. Huh? So, so now yeah. I just feel like, oh, I'm going to go punch the button and they just walk up the stairs with me. <laughs> They're like, I'm not going to wait for it. So I, I get them in two ways. So you're the prankster there. That Yeah, that would have been one of my, my, my insights of just kind of having fun and, and laughing at people and laughing with people. At what point did you start with the priest seminary and basketball game? Were you there since the beginning? Game one. Yep, I was pre uh, pre theology one, uh, and so both my pre theology years we lost uh, close games, and then the last three that we've been able to play, I didn't put, I didn't play during uh, my pastoral year, but there was no game uh, due to COVID. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so yeah, I've been on all five years, and I'll be there, God willing, if my my knees and ankles hold up for this one, and then. Uh, who knows? I think I think I will try on a martyr's jersey and see how that goes. If I can, <laughs> if I can get up and down the court at thirty nine. Now you won the MVP this year, this this past year. Yeah, last year as a seminarian, and now you're a transitional deacon. You think that what if you win the MVP as a transitional deacon and then go on become a priest? You know, I, I don't want to put a jinx on it, but. You know, so far you could be the only one that could do that. You know, yeah, no, three I, different. Yeah, that 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 is a possibility. I uh, again, I I'm I'm a I'm a player that other people I try and get them involved. I'm not going to be the high scorer. Uh-huh. Um, I have a chance to get some rebounds. I have a chance to make some passes, and I have a chance to play some good defense and try and minimize what the other bigs can do. Uh-huh. Um, and it really comes down to you get somebody who can put up some numbers. And, and I mean, we just had a bad shooting night last year, and it kind of fell to me as as a somebody who kind of had an all around game. Uh, and this one, and it didn't make my free throws, but <laughs> it was it was a, it was a good game. Other than that, so it was the assists and rebounds that exactly. got you the MVP. Exactly, and so and then nobody scoring ten points. So it's like okay, well. That can that can work when there's nobody when everyone's in single digits. You have no real high scores. What's your height? Six six. You're six six. Yes, you're earlier six six. Is there anyone close to that height? Just Raymond, right? Raymond is six. Uh, he's probably six five or six six. Uh-huh. I mean, we're about the same size, and that that's going to be hard playing against him. I hate practicing against him. He's got much younger. <laughs> he's he's hard to move. Uh, and then we have a new guy that just came into seminary, uh, Will Stivers. Uh, he's six six as well, and so he's a theology one. And so oh, so when we, you... we have we have three big guys, which we did we uh, could be an advantage for us. So the priests have their work cut out for them, huh? It's possible. And then when you become a priest, if you play for the priest team, you're going to play against those two guys. That is a, that, yeah. That'll pretty much be your responsibility. Yeah, that'll be, uh, they're going to try and keep me in as long as possible at times. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out. They they are much younger, uh, but it is a great um, 
opportunity to, to get out and, 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 and the fraternity, like when Father Chad moved over, or Father David Michael moved uh-huh. over, you still have that interaction. And then when you see him at the seminary or you go out to their parishes, I mean, just to see their, the, their witness and their priestly witness, their priestly heart to serve the people. But the, the basketball game gives us an opportunity to, to see people, uh, your parish priest, your seminarians, as somebody who truly um, is seeking to love the Lord, but also utilize their talents and their, their, their charisms so that others can see that we are we're people who, who love the Lord and are joyful in, in things other than just celebrating the Eucharist, celebrating the sacraments. There is joy to be had in, in natural goods, be it sports, uh, when they're ordered properly. Now, you're not the only baseball player that we had on the show, you know, in the seminary. Luis Armas, did the two of you, like, throw the ball around together? Have you talked about starting a priest versus seminary in baseball game, perhaps? I have not talked about that, no. <laughs> uh, people tried to get me to get a softball team together. And uh-huh. I'm like, I don't know how good this would work out. I, it just, it's it's a different uh, type of a, a sport. And uh-huh. I mean, you, there's running up and down the, the, the field on a soccer field or uh, a basketball court. But hitting a ground ball and trying to run it out, sometimes sprints don't work out so well and you have pulled the hamstrings because I did that when I was playing slow pitch softball before entering seminary. Uh-huh. Um, there's also the ground balls at third base get there a lot quicker. Pitchers, you'd have to have somebody that could throw strikes uh, and, and not hit anyone. And that's, oh, that's that, I mean, that, yeah, that's I, right. see, I see an injury possibility in a team like that. And so, and then for me, my shoulder's not good enough to play, uh, to pitch anymore. And oh. so I, I, I recognize that I'm more than happy to not worry about it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and just recognize that, Hey, I get to have fun in these other sports, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and have that fraternity and, and recognize what sports are really about there at the seminary and it's fraternity. It's uh-huh. about a brotherhood. It's about yeah. the memories that you make, the practices that you have working with your coaches and, and growing, uh, and so it just gives us an, an opportunity to, to build a, a kind of a more holistic uh, man because you want good and holy priests, but you also want good and holy men that are able to, that are well-rounded in, in, in many different ways. One thing um, that uh, Louis said during his interview was that he was really afraid of, he said that during his career in baseball, he had picked up uh, what he calls a colorful vocabulary. <laughs> he said that, you know, He's afraid of dropping a bomb at the pulpit. Do you have to struggle with that as well? Did you have to worry about that? Uh, in the past, yeah, I would have had to worry about that. Um, again, God's grace has helped. And, and just being able to slow things down and, and to, to recognize uh, there's, there's a, a time and a place for, for being forceful. But again, you, you don't want to chase, I mean, there, there's a public presence of, of walking around in a, in a collar and walking around in clerics that you can, you can do a lot of damage if you do something that is, that is uh, emotional and a quick emotional reaction mm. a, around people. Mm. And so to recognize that in many different ways and then to recognize that it, it used to be a part of my vocabulary and, and now... There's there's other adjectives, better adjectives, uh-huh. and the the, the sores in my uh, Microsoft Word gives me a lot of adjectives when I'm writing papers. So uh-huh. it just helps out. It's like, oh, well, I could use that word or this word, and and so yes, there 
in sports there 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 tends to be colorful uh language and and you it and it may slip in a basketball court or like when we're practicing or something and then you recognize man that was stupid uh-huh but um I, at this point, I pray and that, that that's not something that would ever come out uh, on at a pulpit. So where do you, you spend your pastoral year? My pastoral year was in Quero, Texas, um, and it's three missions. And so I was in, oh. we, we were in Quero and St. Michael's uh, is there in Quero. And then we have Arle Guadalupe, uh-huh. uh, the Hispanic parish there. Um, and then I had St. Peter's and Paul in Myersville, Texas, which is about... Um, 10 miles away, and then St. Aloysius and Westoff. And, and so just very small rural communities for those. Quero is a great town. Oh, is, I have so many friends, uh, so many relationships that, just, that, that I continue to, to keep in touch, uh, be able to go deer hunting out there uh, with, with one of the families. And they just they invite me in for a meal, and it's just a great gift. Um, being able to, a lot of our uh, guys that were in the high schoolers that would would be um, at mass were also on the football team, and they were been good the last two years. They made the the uh, state semifinals the past two years, and to be able to follow them to sit at some of those football games and uh-huh. to be able to one spend the time with the with the fans uh, and, and kind of the downtime and the conversations with those uh, teachers or those. Uh, friends and family that I, uh, that I kind of came to grow and love. Um, and then just also be able to support those youth, uh, to support them as they, as they journey on and, and move forward. And so uh, one of the greatest gifts that they're in Quero is they have a lot of scenery. They have a lot of deer in DeWitt County. And so mm. they have a golf course that's got a walking trail right uh-huh. next to the airport. And you can go out there morning or, or afternoon and you're probably going to see 20 to 30 deer. Wow. When you go into the cemetery and you pray and you can walk and do some walking rosaries praying for the, those, those souls. Of, uh-huh. And there's deer everywhere. And it wow. is just being in nature uh, and having that opportunity to um, engage with the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to, to have be able to teach at the school was a great gift as well. To be able to teach the sixth graders, to be able to pop into the classes uh, every Wednesday for 30 minutes. To be able to, to to have those those bonds and and that was another time where I experienced a love and and this the, you see these uh, these kids and you recognize they're not going to be your own, but you have a, a love for them to support them and to 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 give them that 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 gift of what uh, of of kindness and and goodness mm-hmm. And to pray through it with your, with my uh, spiritual director, and and recognize that yes, it, it 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 just because they're not biologically my kids doesn't mean that they that they are not my spiritual children that I am going to pour love into, as a as just allow my heart to overflow and give them exactly what is best for them to so that they know God's love and have experienced God's love. In these smaller parishes, do you really need to know how to speak Spanish? There is a, a a growing Hispanic community both there in Cuero and then here in East Bernard, and so um, they sent me on a uh, nine weeks of immersion uh, at in Puebla, Mexico, and so I, I've grasped it a little bit more. It'll be something that I need to continue to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hispanic community has been very grateful uh, for what I am able to offer them in my in my limited spanish uh my translated homily my translated english homilies uh-huh um but they they are a true gift in of itself as well cuz you could 
kind of pass for Hispanic. Do yeah. People come up to you and start speaking. They're that that especially when they hear me read, like do the 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 gospel. They're like, oh yeah, he's Hispanic, and then they start <laughs> talking, and you're like, oh, that's a much faster uh, comprehension than I could ever get to. And so yeah, I I, I have a a little bit darker complexion, um, and so people will will think, hey, this, and my last name ends in an A, so it's like, yeah, it could be Hispanic and. It's, I've had that happen to me. You know, I yeah. I worked in a school in a, a primarily Hispanic area, and some of the kids would walk up to me and say "Maestro," and, and I'd be like, oh, "No, no, no! Uh, I have a Spanish last name, but I'm I'm Filipino." Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I'm sure you have those kinds of experiences where you kind of have to ask yeah. them to, to yeah. you know, slow down. Yeah, just just to, just to, but again, to to offer what I can offer, of course, and, and then continue to seek to to grow and rely on God's grace. Now your diaconate year, you're here at Holy Cross in East Bernard. Are you just here at this parish? Yeah, and so this is a single parish, uh, and so it has no missions. It's the exaltation of the Holy Cross, and uh, I'm here twice a month, uh, Fridays through Sundays, helping with baptisms, serving at weddings, and, mm-hmm. and uh, preaching homilies, as well as uh, I was here all summer. And so my, my whole summer was here uh, with the exception of a, a, a two-week uh, span when I was blessed to be able to go to the Holy Land. Oh, what uh, was that like? The Holy Land was, uh, was a great gift. And, and to be able to, to be a deacon as, as you go there, and I can uh-huh. only imagine what it's going to be like to be a priest celebrating yeah. the masses at those, those sacred places. Uh-huh. But to be able to proclaim the gospel uh, above Peter's house, uh, to serve at the altar there uh, in the chapel uh, next to uh, St. Jerome's, uh, or in St. Jerome's kind of cave next to where Christ was born about 100 years away uh-huh. uh, in the Church of the Nativity. And then to be able to proclaim the gospel at the Holy Sepulchre was just great. I mean, it was unbelievable to, to read those passages and, and to see the places uh, up there in Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. Those wow. were just, they were, they're still kind of untouched. I mean, because Capernaum is more or less just ruins. And so mm-hmm. it's not real touristy. It's not uh-huh. big high rises everywhere around it. It, it. You can see and imagine exactly what would have been going on in this place wow. as you look over the beautiful sea. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now you're looking at your last couple of months as a transitional deacon. What are you looking forward to in your life as a priest? What are you looking forward to the most? Is it the Eucharist? Is it confession? I think it's those two sacraments. Those are the foundation. I mean, to be able to baptize and bring someone into the life of the Trinity, into Mm -hmm. the body of Christ, that mystical body to where we're all kind of related and and give them that, 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 inheritance uh, that they have at that point to, to God's uh, salvation. But how do we get there? It's a journey. I mean, it's not just a once and done. I mean, uh-huh. we have to live this out. And and to be able to articulate how we are so healed in the sacrament of reconciliation and then be able to be nourished by the Eucharist so that we can truly be witnesses, truly be Christians, and not just a name only, but somebody who they can see, hey, when you read about Christ or you watch The Chosen and you see kind of these these stories about how he went and affected people's lives in a very positive way uh-huh. by drawing in them into a relationship with himself and the Heavenly Father, allowing the Spirit to work, that's what we're called to do. And as priests, the, the best way we can do that is to be a great witness, a living witness, a joyful witness 
but we're going to be joyful when we have a flock that is just truly radiating that joy because they are f- truly filled with grace and they're filled with the grace that is is there and readily available to each and every one of us in the in the, in the sacraments uh, so to be able to have that i would say from what i hear from the other guys uh the Eucharist is beautiful, and it'll be always be beautiful to be able to to stand in Christ's stead and and to 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 confect Him and bring Him down and hold them in our hands. But to be able to to true conversions will happen in the in the confessional that yeah. are, are just amazing. And again, we we don't talk about them; when they'll never be specifics mm-hmm. because of the seal. But it's that recognition that God is healing people when the world is going in a spiral and when everything looks like it's hitting the fan, it's a recognition that you are able to see that one sheep that was lost and has come back and you found them and you're able to kind of bring them back into the fold and then they live that life. And so it's that transformation that can happen through the sacrament of reconciliation that I think is going to be the greatest gift uh, because you're actually entering into the messiness of people's lives and giving them God and giving them his forgiveness uh, and, and offering it to them in a deep, real way, a tangible way so that they can then amend their lives and look to move forward in a deeper relationship. And that doesn't mean that they won't sin again, but it's a recognition that they have been able to unburden themselves and receive his grace and be disposed to be able to be nourished in a way where they can live a, a truly transformative, a transformed life. One thing I forgot to ask you earlier, how did your family react to you deciding to enter seminary? That is uh, I because I was going on the uh, retreat here in Houston, and so it was right after the Axe retreat there. And so my dad's like, yeah, he's going on another Axe retreat. And I'm like, no, it's not an Axe retreat. And I told him that I'm, I'm, I'm going to the seminary and I'm discerning uh, the priesthood. And his reaction was, I'm proud. He could, he could muster two words, and it was, I'm proud. And then for mom, it was, are you going to be happy? Because are you, are you going to be happy, but you won't have this or the things that, that the world tells us makes us happy? Mm-hmm. And I was like, and at, at first, it was, it was just her motherly instinct wanting the best for me. Of course. But the way I saw it is like, you just think I'm just jumping in this because I'm not married at 32 <laughs> is kind of my thought process. And uh-huh. it was a recognition like, no, there is, I've been praying on this and there is a movement that, that I, and that I need to move forward and, and at least discern. And what father John Cheveria told me was if the Holy spirit keeps opening doors, keep walking through them. And it has been a great grace to continue to walk to through them, be sitting here in East Bernard, Texas, about to take that last step into the priesthood, which is the beginning of uh, eternity. When is your ordination date? May 13th. And so it actually falls on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. Uh, I, again, I told you I was a mama's boy. I'm a mama's boy times two. <laughs> uh, been holding my rosary the whole time. Uh, and it's, a, it's just that safety net to be able to, it's like holding her hand uh, and to have Mary um, in that Marian feast uh, on on this um, on my ordination, and then the following day is Mother's Day to celebrate my first mass in Weimar, Texas, uh, on Mother's Day, That's is fantastic. is a is a great gift uh, that that can move forward. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 truly um, a blessing. Uh, it means that I'm almost four months away, four months and a day or two, and uh, 
And so it's real. It, it, there is that real reality. And do you find out your assignment the day before, like, you know, how they do here in Galveston, Houston? It, it'll be sometime in May. And so it could be the night before. Sometimes they just, you find out with the people when Bishop announces it. Oh. So it's, it's kind of that, uh, that oh. understanding. Um, and so I... I'll find out when... when uh, Are you hoping for any particular parish? I am not. People ask me that and they're like, what's your ideal or what's your ideal parish? Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I could see myself being in this parish because of this, this, and this. Uh-huh. But when you set yourself up for that, it's like, okay, well, what happens when you don't get that? Mm-hmm. The, our ideal is not what God is always wanting uh-huh. for us because it may not stretch us. It may not allow us to grow. It may not allow us to encounter those people that our talent set is is great and, and going to be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I have no um, no preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to just to be in there with a parish that is uh, vibrant and, and, and willing to just kind of engross themselves in the good news of the gospel and to to allow his his good news, the word of God to, to kind of transform their hearts. And then to, to allow the, the Eucharist to be that, that part that, that flourishes and allows them to, to kind of live and be living witnesses to the gospel. Father Preston Cantella, he said that one of his first assignments was at a school where he could coach. Now, yeah. have you ever thought about that? Like, oh, they could send me to a parish with a school and they have a baseball team, perhaps. Have you ever thought about that possibility? I have, I, uh, other people have thought about it and they've asked me <laughs> and I'm like, I really. It's like, well, I have a priest coach. It, yeah, no, <laughs> that, that is, that really is not something that if that is what I'm called to do and I'm out of school that they need a, a coach uh-huh. for whatever reason, I would take that on. But again, there's a recognition that there's a little bit m- for me. I want to be a, a good and holy priest, and and I and and if anything is going to draw me away from that or have me have a different priority mm-hmm. or, or trying to chase something that was so good to me in the past, I don't want that to be a distraction that is a is a good that the that the devil twists and disorders in a way that where I don't actually engage with the people that are right there present that 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 need a priest at that point. Um, no, that's not. And again, I can't throw batting practice anymore. My shoulder's not <laughs> not, not going to work in any good ways. Um, I could hit ground balls. Like, and I and I, I'd love to go stand on the football sidelines with the with the guys, like some of our priests do at some of those Catholic schools. Go in the dugout, but I don't want to have to. I'm not. I'm not. The X's and O's are for coaches, and and that's that's kind of my understanding. And so I, that's not something that I'm I'm rooting for. On your ordination, when you're lying prostrate, what will you be thinking about? Um, last time, someone told me, uh, Father Fernando, uh, he got ordained for Austin. He told me that to pray for a grace at that point, as the saints are being called in and, and everybody is praying over you, to call on a grace to, to, that is going to be helpful for your ministry. Last time, meaning your diaconate ordination. Yes, my last, my my diaconate ordination. And so, what I prayed for is is the grace to 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 remember people's names because it is a great gift when you can call somebody by name. Yes, rather than just being like, oh, the yeah, you and that guy and this and or just like I, what I always used to call everyone at the seminary when I entered in was something that came from baseball was I call everyone Pappy or Big Man, uh-huh. just and it's a recognition that. It's, those are the things that people are going to roast me about in a couple of weeks. But 
it was a an understanding that when you can truly call somebody by name, they recognize, and it's what Christ would do with people, mm-hmm. is to call them by name. And so to work my hardest, and so to find those old six-year-old directories, and whenever you meet somebody, look up their names. When you uh, Facebook has so many drawbacks for me and my time wasting, but it also has allowed me to see connections of families of my parishioners as they go through. And so to be able to recognize who is who and to be able to, to interact with them on a personal level gives a, a greater gift. And so that was the grace I prayed for. Then I'm going to be praying over the next four months what the Lord wants me to ask for as I'm, as I'm lying there, wanting to just receive what he offers. Have you talked with, you know, the the other guys who will be ordained here in Galveston, Houston about, you know, going back and forth and serving masses together? Yeah, yeah. And so there are a couple of them that uh, I hope uh, that will be there. They'll be deacons still. And so uh, I think one of them will be one of my deacons that is standing next to me at the altar um, because he's, he's, he's a great friend of mine. He's been on those fraternal groups. And he's also the most liturgically sound guy we have. And so I want somebody like that when I'm celebrating. Who's this? Uh, Deacon Zachary Muldrow. Uh, and so he's, he's a great, uh, great friend. Um, and so to, and, and we worked as MCs together. We worked when I was an MC and he was a sacristan. And so there's a rapport in that liturgical sense. Um, and, and so, and then I have, we'll have a couple of our ordained deacons as well and to kind of try and find the roles for them. Um, but yeah, and then I may already be assigned to a parish because we're getting ordained early in May. Mm-hmm. So we may have a June 1st start date instead of July 1st ah. to where I may only be able to make their mass and or the, the ordination and not be able to make everything else because I'll be having an assignment. And, You'll be busy. And, yeah. And that there is that uh, recognition that, okay, sometimes we die to self and, and accept yes. uh, the obligations and the gifts that will be presented in that that role. All right. So looking at the basketball gate coming up, okay. do you have any predictions? We have got an influx of talent uh, this year on the um, on the ball handling side of things. And I know the, the priests have gotten a, a few guys with, with Father uh, Joseph White coming, coming in. Coming back, and, yep. And, and coming mm-hmm. back from Rome. And then a couple of those uh, Jesuits that may uh, be in and play, because Fa- uh, Father John Poles, he played with us the first four years, and he was a great guy. And I think that they're trying to get him to come down for that um, and play on the martyr side of things. They're recruiting, huh? They, they well, I mean, <laughs> they really they're, need to pull. But, but, they're, but they're all. But he has he has played in that game. He played with us for forty years. Oh, okay. we, we flew him in from St. Louis or from <laughs> Boston to to the first time we won. Is like he had played the first two games that when he was at Strike Jesuit as, uh-huh. a, as a teacher, and then he was finishing his formation elsewhere, and he came back in. Um, so you're thinking but, a blowout? I don't think it'll be a blowout. Uh, I think because the Holy Spirit works in too good a way to make that game entertaining. And uh-huh. so a blowout is not something that is, uh, even when it looks like a blowout, like two years ago, uh-huh. and uh, we were up 13 at half, and then two minutes later we were at tied, <laughs> and then all of a sudden <laughs> we're up 13 with three minutes later, and it ends up being a four-point game. There's a lot of excitement that kind of comes with that game, and I think a lot of it is just God's providence of being able to 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 take it. and and I think we're we're the more talented team and I think the priest would say that but 
uh, we're going to be younger, uh, and that's a blessing. And you're a lot bigger too. And we're when we and we have the 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 kind of down low presence. Yeah. Uh, but we got a couple of guys. Uh, Father Chad Henry's brother Wesley came in. And I he's, heard he's a he's a very good ball handler. Uh-huh. So then that just moves Keenan off the point to his true shooting role, and he's he's just unbelievable. And so. I think that it's as long as we're healthy. I think that we would be the favorites. Um, I don't know how much because again, the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with how that game plays out. Well, we wish you the best of luck in the game, and yeah. of course, uh, congratulations on your upcoming ordination. And we look forward to seeing all the great things that you'll do and you'll accomplish as a priest. Well, thank you very much, Rudy. It's been a pleasure.